0: Yahweh Father, you amaze us in all you do. From the grace in which you draw us near to the ways you gently yet firmly challenge us to repent and grow, you could not be more perfect or amazing in how you do things. The way in which you know exactly what we need at any given moment amazes me and testifies to your greatness and authority. You are God and we are not, and you know us and see us more intimately than we could ever know ourselves. We praise you for your goodness, your steadfast love, and your care for us. Jesus, we come before you with any hurt, shame, or guilt that lingers from this past week. You know the ways in which we have doubted you or sinned against you, and we ask for your forgiveness. Father, we praise you that we can come before your throne in repentance as your children because of your son's sacrifice on the cross. By your Spirit, please speak the truth of your love, grace, and conviction to us in these situations, and help us to listen and pursue what is true, rather than our own emotions or false perceptions of what the truth is. Help us to set our minds on that which is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, or praiseworthy, as shown and determined by your word. Help us not to fear the truth or its implications. Because we know that you are good and faithful, no matter what life brings, and you are able to bring healing to any hurt or pain that is caused. We thank you for this. Spirit, would you help us to trust you and your goodness and faithfulness? Would you bring to light the lies in our hearts that we believe and that hinder us from following you? I know that I myself have many, Father. Help us to come to you with our hurts and pains so you can speak truth into them and heal us. Would you help us to love and support each other well as brothers and sisters in this walk? Help us to be vulnerable with each other and not be afraid to challenge each other as we live our lives out of love for you and for those around us. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. If it weren't for you, we would be separated and living in darkness, but you have made us your sons and daughters, your beloved children, and even your bride, whom you clothe with righteousness and honor. You have taken away our shame and guilt by the blood of Christ. We praise you for this. Thank you so much for loving us first. We don't deserve you, and we think you are amazing. Yahweh, we look forward to the day when every knee will bow in recognition of your ultimate authority and glory above all else. In your name we pray, amen.
1: Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. morning. It's a joy and a privilege to be here with you all. As my family looks to transition down here to Salem from Portland, I would just commend you all. The amount of love that we have already felt from you all has been extraordinary. extraordinary. And as a husband and father, I am ready for my family to plug in with you all. So thank you. Uh, It brings lots of emotion to the front of my my heart just thinking about uh, and anticipating life down here with you all. So thank you. We now come to our time in the service when God prepares His bride for His return, as we sung our last song uh, through His word. So if you have your Bible, uh, please open it to the letter of 3 John. As a parent, nothing pleases me more than hearing a good report about my kids, hearing a good report about my children. Uh, In our current neighborhood where we live, one of the neighbors makes it his point to praise my children. He lives across the street. He's an elderly gentleman, uh, an elderly gentleman, and I just appreciate hearing from him, right? Nothing, it just brings joy and pride to a father's heart to hear that about their children. Uh, A favorable report uh, brings this pride, and this is really what successful parenting looks like, right? We put in the work. We pray for the results. Lord, they're in your hands. I'm I'm putting in the work. Take care of them and bring that seed to fruition. As parents, we know that we also encourage our children to put in hard work. We encourage our kids to be kind to others, right? To love their siblings. Work hard at your chores. Make an effort in school, right? You don't have to get A's, just work hard do your best Amen. so what we as parents call our children to do and fundamentally each of those requires a certain amount of sacrifice Amen. time time and maturity teach us that to be successful at work or in relationships sacrifice is mandatory Amen. it is required If we are to receive the highest praise, we must be willing to give up what we hold most dear. Today, we're going to be looking at the book of 3 John. It is a short book. It's unique in that. It's one of the shortest books in the New Testament, consisting only of 15 verses. So if you are having a hard time finding it, it's at the very end or close to the very end of the book, or the New Testament. Find the book of Revelation, turn back a few pages from Jude, you'll hit Jude, and then 3 John. And so, without further ado, let's read together the whole book of 3 John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are who testified of your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that, they may be fellow, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church <clears throat> but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, <clears throat> excuse me, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, Peace be to you, the friends greet you, greet the friends by name. The letter of 3 John was written by the Apostle John. And the Apostle John begins this letter by calling himself the Elder, and we see that right there, right away in verse 1. And this is not uncommon, it's very common for him to refer to himself as this, and we know that from previous books, right? 1 John and 2 John. He refers to himself both, in both books, as the elder. He's writing here in 3 John to a man named Gaius. So we have a personal letter from John to Gaius. And Gaius, who is this man? Well, we don't really know. We don't really know. Gaius was a very common name in the first century, uh, much like the name Nick. And there's lots of Nicks today. Uh, In fact, there are other Gaiuses in the New Testament. So are they the same Gaius? as we see here, we do not know this. We do not know. So there are no distinguishing characteristics about this man. But what is important is what we find in the content of what is written to him. Third John, this book, can open our eyes to truths that we need even today, here in the 21st century. And so, if you are a note-taker, here is the big idea. If you leave here I, I, with one thing, remember this one thing. Faithfulness in the kingdom of God flows from a love for the truth of God. Faithfulness in the kingdom of God flows from a, from a love for the truth of God. And there's three points to today's sermon. Love for fellow Christians, Love for the for strangers and love for the church. So those are the three points that this uh, is big idea is made clear in, Lord willing. I've done my job. <laughs> right away, first point, love for fellow Christians. We see this in verses 1 through 4. Look at the greeting that John writes to Gaius here in verse 1. It gives us the, the basis of their relationship. It is very clear, very evident that John loves Gaius. He addresses him as beloved. This is a familial term. And he does it again in the second verse. It's very common for a father. We see this in the New Testament with God addressing his son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. John loves Gaius. And he doesn't stop there, but he gives us the basis for that love. That love is in truth. John loves Gaius in truth. Christians are known for their love, by their love, towards other Christians. This love isn't short-lived. It isn't changing. It isn't fleeting. It isn't based on emotion, good feelings, or positive vibes. A Christian's love for other believers is one of the greatest outward signs that we have to back up, that we are who we say we are. And the basis of this love that we have and that John has for Gaius is, as he says, in the truth. It is in the gospel, it is in the good news. John loves Gaius not for what Gaius gives to John, but because of who Gaius is in Christ. What what a challenge. So what defines these, these two men's relationship is the reality of the truth that Jesus Christ died and rose, and the Spirit of God lives in each of them and has united them together in relationship and in Him. Now, the idea of calling somebody beloved, right, especially another guy, to our 21st century minds might seem a little foreign, right? We talk about man crush Mondays and bromances, but what is this beloved? You know, I I refer to Janelle as my love sometimes, but I mean, hey Hans, you know, like it just kind of gets weird. But there's a truth that we can take from this text, our relationships with other believers should go deeper than just being friends. Our love for each other can and should be, right, can and should be the point that we're, we're excited to see them, right? We get those butterflies. I mean, you think about your own brother. If you have a brother, I have one, and when I see him, I'm about to see him, and it's not very often, I get really excited, how much more should be our relationship with other Christians that we are united into Christ with? Relationships that are built on the truth of the gospel. We are united in Christ with other believers. And this is right where John goes in the rest of verse 2. And then in verse 3, we see that he prays for Gaius, and his prayer is unique. He prays not only for his body, but that his soul would be as well as his body is. That both his body and his soul would do well. John is taking kind of this role of parent, and we see him refer to Gaius that way as a children, child, but he's, he finds joy in the well-being of his child. But not just his child's physical health, but his child's spiritual health as well. And that is his greatest joy, John tells the reader, it is his greatest joy that those whom he has discipled, those whom are his children in the faith, continue to walk day after day in that faith. This is, this is what excites John. We get a glimpse of, of who this man is, this apostle. This is what kind of wakes him up in the morning and, and, and energizes him. A test a faithful testimony of those who are in Christ that He has discipled. What if we took joy in others' faithfulness to the truth of the Word of God? What if that was our joy? What if we were excited at the faithfulness of others, that their body and their soul were doing well? I think John's prayer for Gaius. Is, where, that is a good reminder for us as well. To pray for others that they would do well physically and spiritually. I know it's easy for me to pray for others. Lord, bless them. Keep them safe. May they have a safe trip. But what if we added on to that that they would grow in their knowledge and understanding of you and we can thank the Lord that they're doing that when that's appropriate? One way, just practically speaking, that we could maybe be prompted to do this is, and at the same time, maybe redeem some of our time that we spend, and I know I spend scrolling on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, is to let that be a prompt, to pray for people. I know that there are people from previous churches that I'm connected with on there, and I see maybe that they're doing well or they're struggling. What if that was a time to pray for them, Right? to redeem some of what we maybe are wasting away, but to kind of add purpose to it. To give thanks that God is working in their life or to pray that he would continue that work that we were able to see maybe years previous. And this, is that's the heart of the apostle John, a life that takes joy in the life of a Christian who is walking with God. So John, how does he know Gaius is walking with the Lord? Well, it appears that he has received a report about Gaius from a group of Christians that had traveled to him, to John. How do we know this? Well, this is in the second uh, point of today's sermon, and I am getting back to my notes or my slides. And so the second point is seen in verses 5 through 12, verses 5 through 12, a love for strangers. The body of the book, kind of the meat, the substance of this letter is contained in verses 5 through 12, and so we're going to spend most of our time here in these verses looking at them, contemplating them. What we see in verses 5 through 12, we see two positive examples of this love for strangers and one negative example. Okay, so we see two positives and one negative. The first positive that we see, we'll start with the positive. It's easier that way. The first positive that we see is Gaius. Right away, John is addressing Gaius and commends Gaius for his work with strangers. We see that in verse 5. You can see that in verse 5. John is commending Gaius with his work with strangers. He has treated the strangers who carried the letter to John as brothers. So Gaius, the brother of John, beloved of John, is then spreading that love to others. So Gaius is kind of caught the vision that John has, the excitement that John brings. The reality of the gospel, the good news had invaded the life of Gaius, and it changed even the way he viewed relationships. Relationships with strangers. I mean, John is clear, like he identifies them as strangers. He he treated them as brothers. Right here we see the description of what life is like as a Christian. I mean, what, what what's brought us here today? Just a few months ago, you all were strangers to me. But what's united us? Well, yes, it's a church. But more importantly, it's Christ. We have been united in Christ and then are united with each other. Through Christ, we have more in common with each other than we do our unbelieving family members. We will spend eternity with one another. What, what excitement is that? What joy is that? We will be spending eternity contemplating our relationship in Christ with each other. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that we proclaim, or that we do proclaim. If you are here today and and do not consider yourself to be a Christian, or maybe you just kind of go through the motions of church and attend. Maybe you've just been attending church for a long time. It's just something that you do on a Sunday morning, right? It's what my family does. Let me tell you that through Christ, your sins can be forgiven. You can be united into Christ and then into other believers. And I know that that is good because I'm experiencing it right now through this church. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came and died on the cross and on the third day rose from the dead, proclaiming victory over sin. And those who were once strangers, right? The, the idea of strangers comes back. Those who were once strangers, those who were once enemies, once far off, can now be and know the intimate love of God. We are united into Him and we are united into His people. All one must do is believe. Believe that truth, confess it with your mouth, privately, internally, and publicly. This is the truth that is the foundation of 3 John. And so if you would like to know more about this, come and see me after the service. Uh, Talk to the person that brought you, maybe find somebody that looks like they know what they're doing here. And, And reach out to them, talk to them, ask them more questions. They'd be happy to talk with you about this. To live in Christ is to be united to his people. It is to be given a love for the people of God. Strangers become brothers. It was these strangers who spoke of this love that Gaius had. Look at verse 6. They didn't speak of it. They testified of it. It was their testimony. Gaius loved us well. And as a result of Gaius' love, his love, not, not love that was maybe his, but love that had been put into him, was then talked about amongst other people and churches and encouragement was taking place. Now it also appears from the text that these people were traveling missionaries or church planters. John writes that these travelers accepted nothing from unbelievers, right? The Gentiles in those verses refers to unbelievers. But they are going about the work, we see, for the sake of the name. And the New Testament, that is the name Jesus. They were going about the work of the gospel. So we can safely conclude, I think, that these people had a mission. They were missionaries. They were purposeful in their journey. Gaius brought these people in for their or for this, because of their common faith in God. He cared for them, supplied for their needs, and then sent them out on their way. What is this idea? What is happening? What is taking place? Well, in today's language, we would just call this being hospitable. Gaius is demonstrating hospitality to people that are strangers. He was hospitable, he was generous to people who would not give back to him, right? Because they're leaving. They can't just, you know, repay the kindness and have him over later, right? He's giving to them generously, benevolently, and expecting nothing in return. He is a clear example of the truth that he professes. He models well the generosity of God. That's why John is so proud of him. He's delighted to hear and, uh, and testifies of the good what God is doing in his life is because he's modeling God's generosity. For Christians, through Christ, we have been welcomed into God's family as strangers, right? We are no longer his enemies and strangers. We have been brought in, welcomed to the table. And his generosity, he gives us gifts, he equips us, and then sends us out to be on mission for him. Gaius is just modeling that in his own way. He's just taking that and, and, uh, and, and practicing it. When this is done, when, when that is done, we see John says that Gaius is becoming a fellow worker with these people. That's, we see that in verse 8. Gaius, what you're doing has made you a fellow worker with these workers. Their boots are on the ground, but through your service, you're with them. Friend, Christian, the gospel calls us to live sacrificially for that purpose, to give of our, our ease, of, to give of our comforts in life, to put ourselves out there for the sake of the kingdom. And oftentimes, it's going to be in ways that we may not benefit, necessarily. We are called to leave our own comfort and to step out and to love and serve others more than we love and serve ourselves. Now, I can testify that God has given mission, mission fellowship here in Salem, many good things. God has given this church many good things. I've already come to experience some of the gifts and my family has already come to experience some of the gifts that God has given to this church. However, flip side of that is mission is limited. Mission cannot be everywhere to everybody at all times. We can't. As a church, that is impossible. We have been placed here in Salem at this specific time in this specific place, to these specific people. And we're called to that. We're called to be faithful here and now. There's no shame in that. It's a good thing. But we are also called to be faithful around the world, right? And other places. There are people in this world who need to hear the gospel. There are, are people in this world who have no access to a healthy church, one that preaches the good news that you hear Sunday after Sunday that has informed your relationships and your love for the stranger. When a church takes on the responsibility of equipping and sending others out, we become fellow workers. We may not be there physically. Maybe we will be at points in time. But we can join them and support them nonetheless. That is what we see here is taking place, that Gaius is being commended for. Now, historically, through history, the church has come to grips with this. All right, we can't be everywhere at all times, and yet we're supposed to take the gospel everywhere. How are we going to do this? And so organizations have been formed to kind of fill in those gaps, right? We, we, we need to be reaching people. We can't be because maybe we don't have enough people to send out or we're too poor, but we have somebody who's really good and wants to. So organizations were, began to be formed. Bible colleges, seminaries, denominations, mission organizations, they're all parachurch ministries. Because one single church was not able to accomplish what each of these could do collectively. Let's put all our chips in together and we'll accomplish more. Now, we could probably point out a lot of negatives that kind of come along, the baggage that comes along with each of those organizations, and they do come with baggage. They've also accomplished a lot of good. A lot of good that we couldn't do alone. A church that sees God's plan laid out in Scripture should recognize that they are limited in what they can accomplish. But we can link arms with others who are equipped to spread God's truth. And it requires, as we see from Gaius, a great amount of love because we're giving of ourselves in ways that we may not benefit back. For the kingdom. We must love others more than we love ourselves. We must love the work more than we love ourselves. It will mean serving, caring, giving, praying, and sending people and resources out that may not ever come back to us in a way that is lasting and meaningful. Now, obviously, having missionaries come back are great to give us updates. But God uses what is difficult, what is hard to accomplish His purposes, both in us and in the world around us. So what, what I've kind of laid out here probably isn't, I know, is not a new idea. This church uh, is already doing this. A few months ago, we got to see uh, a new roof put on, uh, or at, at least built in Burkina, Burkino Faso. Burkina Faso, right? We celebrated that. We celebrated what was taking place that we had sent out that we never probably will benefit from here, but it was done for the sake of the kingdom. So you, we all, you all are already familiar with this and given to that, and that is commendable. Last Saturday, the membership meeting, Hans presented an opportunity to join a network of churches that the elders thought this would be beneficial for our church to participate in. And the purpose of this network? Starting churches that preach the gospel, sending people and resources out that we may not benefit from directly, but we can be other places through their work. As far as mission fellowship goes, it would present us with the opportunity to give ourselves to to doing the work. So briefly, one other implication that we see here that is applicable to mission is welcoming in the stranger, right? This is what Gaius did. He was hospitable. He welcomed in the stranger. These strangers who were brothers, giving of oneself out of love by just ordinarily serving, being hospitable. Filling volunteer positions here at the church can be that position. Right? Whether it's Parking crew, kids classes, youth group, these are tangible ways to love strangers that come in the door, to make them and help them feel at home, to be hospitable towards them. And who knows how God will use our service of loving the stranger down the road in their life, down the road in this church. So I think we should be acutely aware of that, that we all have a unique task in that, to help people feel welcome here on a Sunday morning. Gaius was doing it in his his home, and this is our home church, so I think that there's some good applicable uh, application there for us. Maybe it's as simple as just welcoming a visitor over to your home on a Sunday after church, or even going out and getting a bite to eat with them on a Sunday after church. Getting to know them in a more deep, intimate way. Okay, so Gaius is one positive example. We got through him. The second is much shorter. His name we see is Demetrius. We see him come up in verse 12. We don't know much about him other than what John tells us. Demetrius appears to be a younger Christian, uh, most likely the carrier of this letter back, right? John pens this letter and sends it back with commendation about who Demetrius is. Gaius tells, or John tells Gaius, that I'm telling you the truth, and I don't lie. This guy is good. Okay? You're gonna want to utilize his gifts and his skill set. So we see this relationship between Gaius and or and John, the churches that they were both housed in, is very fluid. They're kind of sending people out. People are coming back, they're sharing resources, they're sharing people. There's a network kind of happening in the first century with the promotion of God's kingdom. The examples of both Gaius and Demetrius as leaders in the church, okay, these guys are leaders, stands in stark contrast to the name that is mentioned and sandwiched between them. We see a third character, the negative example that we're given. Someone who did not love strangers. His name is Diotrephes. I feel like there should be a dun-dun-dun-dun. Diotrephes Diotrephes is not a model leader. He is the antithesis of Gaius. And John warns Gaius that Diotrephes will be dealt with. We see that there's probably some church discipline coming down the road. Gaius will be dealt with. It is what we see of this man that should stand out to us. So for all of the qualities that set Gaius apart, Diotrephes is quite the opposite. He is selfish. He is insubordinate, a gossip, a slanderer, inhospitable, and he puts people out of the church when he sees and when he deems it necessary. His judgments on others are based on what he believes and how he feels. Diatrophes is an abusive leader, and he leads through selfish ambition. That's it. He is selfish, his ego is large, and you better not cross him because you'll just be put out. You're not part of the club. In some capacity, we don't know what. He was a part of the church where Gaius was involved and in, evidently had a decently large influence or voice. Maybe it was a sister church in a neighboring city. We don't know. But he gives us a really poor view, and he gave the people of that day a really poor view of what the church is. Instead of being filled with brotherly love and affection, it was filled with condemnation, harshness, right? Selfishness, egotistical leaders. And unfortunately, leaders like Diotrephes still exist today. They do. Maybe we've known them. Maybe we've seen them on the news fall, on Twitter, right? Their rankings go way down and people like "Eh, that, don't associate with them. Maybe you have personally experienced and been turned off to the church by a leader like Diotrephes, a leader who created a social club, who welcomed certain people in, those people that he liked and not others, or if you crossed him or voiced concern, you were put out, who was a gossip and a slanderer. These leaders inflict more trauma on people than some of us even realize. So friend, if if you're here and you've experienced that, if you've experienced somebody like that, let me apologize to you. I am sorry. That is not how God intends the leaders of his church, especially those who are notable to be called to. That is not what God calls his people to, let alone the leaders of his church. This is not what he has modeled for us, nor is it accurate of the life the Spirit has given to God's people. God's body, the church, is to be led by people who have seen the truth of God and their lives have been drastically changed by it, like Gaius. Diotrephes wasn't operating in church. He was operating a social club, you, like, much like the golf clubs, right? Golf, Like if you're in a golf club, if you can't hack it with us, you can't play with us. No, the church is to be led by people who have seen the truth and their lives have been changed by it. No one could cross diatrophies. We even see that he wasn't willing to listen to John. He'd kind of put even John's ear or voice out of his ear. The admonition of John to, to Gaius when pondering uh, Demetrius. Don't imitate Diotrephes, but imitate Demetrius. Imitate what is good. Verse 11 is actually the hinge of this whole book. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. So the litmus test, John says, for one's profession of faith, the litmus test for seeing God is doing good. Gaius, I know you've seen God because you do good. Good as God has defined it, right? Good as in what we see laid out in the Word. A person who knows the truth, who loves others while professing Christ, they are to be imitated. Because their walk is backing up their talk. It's a challenge for us in this too. Some, I think, we can do some introspective pondering. Does our life worth imitating? Am I worth imitating? Are we about the good that God has called us to? Could others speak of our lives as worthy of imitating? Do we walk the talk or just talk it? As we see with Demetrius, right, the second positive example, this should be a self, not be a self proclaimed, but should come from others, right? John is proclaiming Gaius's faithfulness. Others are proclaiming Gaius's faithfulness. John is proclaiming Demetrius's faithfulness. They're not doing it for themselves. They're not saying, look how faithful I am. Others are commending them in their walk. The sign of a life who has seen God is one who lives and loves selflessly. All right, finally, final two verses, three verses of this book of 3 John, we see a love for the church, and this is very brief. Uh, this, these verses contain the, the salutation of this letter, right? We have a dear, Gaius, and we at the beginning, at the end, we have... Uh, goodbye sincerely, but it's a long drawn out sincerely. Once again, we see this relationship of Gaius and John played out. The desire for them to see each other, to catch up, to talk about all that has taken place. There's too much to talk about, John says, in just writing. We need to see each other. Now remember, this was before the days of AOL Instant Messenger, which that's a long time ago. So, because I grew up with AOL and that was just forever ago. It would take months, maybe years for a letter to cross the the distance between these two men. So John's relational skills are on display, his love, his care, his admiration that he has for Gaius, as well as his call for all of us to live lives of love that proclaim the truth of God, investing in people for the sake of the kingdom. Lives that, that sacrifice, that live sacrificially for the good news, not looking anything in return and this is best done i would submit to you in the context of the local church right here the friends that john refers to in verse 15 were undoubtedly people who were part of the church that gaius was with and part of friends that john knew that john was acquainted with and it was this just we can see his heart and his love for the people in the church His benediction of peace that concludes this letter can be the prayer that that we each pray, right? We can all pray that with John. Peace be to you all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your word. Uh, We pray that that today we would uh, look for ways to love others, to build into others' lives and to love them sacrificially. Lord, and then know that we may never re- receive from them. But we do th- ask that we would do this for the sake of your kingdom. Amen.